Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, I am joined by my frequent co-hosts, Brett Hornig and Leah Yingling, to preview the 2022 Ultra Trail Cape Town 100K event. We analyze the course, we talk about what it's going to take to be successful, we note some of the interesting storylines around the event, and we make our predictions for the female and male top five finishers this year. Let's get right into it. Before we talk about Cape Town, the last time we were all on the broadcast together, was it, was it a Javelina? Did I, Javelina, yeah. right? Okay. So a month ago, Brett, you had a great race there. You want to, I mean, I know we did an entire episode on it, but you want to give like a one minute quick recap about how it went and whether or not it was a breakthrough race for you? I mean, it was 100% a breakthrough race. It was better than any scenario I played out in my head. Um, it was cool to see a different like style of training that I did actually changed something. Um, I'm still not recovered. My knee is kind of jacked up, but that's okay. Uh, still get to talk about running. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Those are my life updates. And Leah, you were just in Thailand and, uh, we didn't do an episode yet. So maybe, yeah, just talk about how the day went and, um, how everything fared. Well, I'll preface this with saying that it was a very long travel day or day, two days to get out there. And lucky for me, I got to live stream the Havelina coverage on my uh, 12 hour flight to South Korea. So I got to watch a lot of Brett's race while he was doing that and text you back and forth, Finn. Um, so yeah, highly recommend that to anybody who has a long flight, just plan it over some Havelina live coverage next time. It's time well spent. Um, but yeah, Thailand in general was an amazing experience. Um, Got to be a part of the ADK World Mountain Running Championships on Team USA with uh, Caitlin Gerben, Addie Bracey, and Brittany Charbonneau. Um, and we came away with a fifth place uh, women's team finish, which was an incredible experience. Uh, just such a hard course. And I think it was evidence to me of just needing to be able to push yourself for, you know, nine hours and work very, very hard in that environment, just with that depth of athletes out there. Um, had a really great day myself that I'm really proud of, but yeah, didn't quite meet my, my high goals of a top 10 finish, but I think that just really speaks to the depth of, um, competition that was out there, but all around an incredible experience. I think we'll talk in a sec about just how impressed we are with this whole Cape town setup and how it makes us want to probably be there at the same time next year. <laughs> but with worlds, I know that the experience was amazing, but does it, did it make you want to do this like every single year in the same way we think about like making UTMB a priority or Western state stuff like that? Like what's your thinking there? Yeah, uh, definitely. And it's tough to next year's world championships will be in June. Um, I believe two or three weeks out from Western States and Lavaredo and races like that broken arrow, um, that already get a high level of competition. So I think that's going to be a big challenge. And it's one I've been chatting with a few people about, um, but yeah, it makes you want to go back again and again and still need to decide my race calendar for next year. But yeah, it's definitely now pulling me a little bit more in that direction than I would have anticipated it. Brett, you told me offline that Lake Sonoma was actually a qualifying race for this next year. I had no idea. And are you going to try to throw your hat in the ring there and qualify for Worlds given that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Not to I put you on blast. <laughs> I get to, I got to get to the point where I can run more than like three miles before my knee getting pissed <laughs> at me. Uh, 
So that's the first priority, but it seems to be trending in the upward direction. I went four miles this morning and it only hurt a little bit at the end. So, uh, I love Lake Sonoma, you know, that course is really fun and I've run it twice and I'm pretty familiar. Um, but you know, I think I'll know in a couple months if that's something I really want to push for because there's also just a lot of other races out there that I haven't done that I just want to go and do Um, like that was kind of the case with Javelina where it wasn't necessarily chasing a golden ticket but just I wanted to go do Javelina because everyone says Javelina is awesome and they were all right we we're kind of veterans at this now. Like we've been together for speed goat for UTMB for Western States for Javelina. And I think in each of those cases, we knew a fair bit about the courses and the history, et cetera, going in, at least for me talking about Cape town, like I knew next to nothing about this race, maybe a week or two ago. I now know a fair bit. And like I said, a minute ago, like I'm super inspired before we put this on our calendar, what did you guys like, what were your initial impressions about ultra trail Cape town? Um, again, before you knew everything, you know, now, and maybe uh, Leah, what's your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good point because I'm in the same boat as you, Finn. I knew generally nothing about this race, just that it was a end of the season competitive race that usually got decent depth of athletes running it. Um, and that it was in Cape town, went up table mountain once, and that's about it. Heard it was beautiful, technical and ran like a pretty hard hundred K, um, but it's gotten some really solid American competition in recent years with Courtney DeWalter and Jim Walmsley, uh, both having wins here last year. And I think Cody Reed in the past as well. Um, so that's the extent of my knowledge. And I will say like, I dove deep this last week and I'm really excited with everything I learned. Yeah. I've kind of, I mean, I've followed the race a little bit in the last few years, but never like how I will, this weekend, you know, probably being glued to the live, which looks amazing by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so excited about that. Um, which yeah, we'll get into like when, when these races are and how to watch them. But, um, yeah, I mean, previous, my previous knowledge of the course was like, for some reason, like Americans have had a lot of success at this race and it sounds quite hard, but in, ways that i don't know i guess don't normally come about in these races like like none of the climbs are like super super big um but at the same and it doesn't sound like the weather is ever really horrific it sounds like there can be a decent range of weather but you know this season's it's just just now getting into summer over there right yeah that that's crazy to think that like i mean it is a southern hemisphere race and like they're this is like an early summer season race for them. Yeah. So it's like, like now doing a lot of homework on this race, like I kind of get why you might go and do this race. It's like, you're kind of in that, uh, it's just starting to be winter, but I'm still running pretty well and it's getting kind of snowy. Oh, look at this. I can go escape this kind of weather that sucks at my house and go do one last awesome race. Um, and yeah, it really kind of seems like it's turning into kind of the premier, like end of the season trail race. One thing I want to make a comment and then I want to throw it out to both of you guys, Leah, you just competed at worlds. It was a stacked race. Brett, you were at Javelina, also a stacked race. 
neither of those races were UTMB affiliated events. Cape Town is not a UTMB affiliated event. There are UTMB races also happening concurrently, but it seems like to me, uh, the most competitive fields have been at each of these three places. So I think what I want to talk about before we get into the course and stuff is how a race like Cape Town exists and thrives from a, from a competition standpoint in a world where UTMB is trying to create a monopoly and cash in on that monopoly. So I don't know, Leah, do you have any thoughts on why Cape Town has been able to field such a, a strong race this year? Yeah, I think a lot in that of environment? it yeah, has to do with just the professionalism of the event. Um, I think a lot of things go into that. Um, that might be live coverage. That might be the investment that they put into their elite athletes. Um, I think those are two large components of it. And just the history behind the race. I think when people see a race year after year, be competitive and bring consistent depth, they're more attracted to it. It's similar to the reason that we don't really see a deep level of competition at Run Rabbit every year. It's like money doesn't necessarily talk, but competition and like, I think, you know, the emphasis on the things that matter do. So I think that's why we're seeing it. Cape Town have kind of the reins it does this year. Like it's attracting a deeper field than we saw at, you know, UTMB Mexico and likely yeah. UTMB Thailand as well. So I've, I've yet to really hear anything bad about this race. Like I haven't really heard any negatives come about it of like, oh, I did it. And like, this was this way, or this was that way. It was more like I did this race. And then I told every single person I knew this race, the event, the area, so awesome, do it. So there's that, which hasn't necessarily been the case with all things UTMB. Um, like there's, Oh, I mean, there's been lots of positive chatter, but there's almost been equal amounts of negative chatter across the entire UTMB brand and the races and the race series and the yeah attempt the the whole World Series. Uh, the other thing is the courses are really cool. I mean, that's kind of one of the main reasons why you know UTMB the 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 big loop around the mountain be just kind of turned into you know like the World Championships runner like it's a badass loop and that's kind of how ultra trail Cape town's turning into as well. Like the, the hundred mile and the hundred K have, you know, the, I guess the hundred miles, like two, it's like mm -hmm. a figure eight. Um, hundred K is just one loop. There's no overlap in trail. You get to see like a huge, you know, variety of different types of terrains. And that's another huge reason why this race has been successful. Like everyone says, like the course is just a really great challenge and it's beautiful. And, you know, at its core, that's still a lot of the reason why so many people, elites included, will go run a race. Leah, when you're building a calendar, like for 2023, for example, are you motivated by like when you're thinking about like a season long narrative and like how your season's going to play out, do you think about it in terms of like the, the event series that you want to be a part of, or are you picking it on like a race by race basis, just based on like how that, how that race is run and stuff like that? Yeah. Something I've actually been telling a lot of people when it comes to getting into UTMB or UTMB race for next year is like, I do not want to go out of my way to get into UTMB next year. Like if it happens intrinsically in a race that like I'm inspired by and I'm already doing, that's great. Or if I get in by the lottery, that's great, but I'm not going out of my way to get into it. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way. So for me, I'm more inspired by, you know, going to a new place, 
seeing a new course, being inspired by the actual course, and then, you know, finding those A races that meet those needs and then catering the rest of my training races and training schedule around that. And I have a feeling like as UTMB starts to monopolize more and more, uh, we might see more people coming to races like UT Cape Town, where, you know, there's, it's an inspiring course and like they're checking a lot of the boxes and they're, I think they're pushing um, all the different capacities of the race, pushing it forward and pushing ultra running in general forward in a variety of ways, which I think is really exciting. It's crazy. UTMB has created this clear funnel. <laughs> like they say, this is exactly how you get to UTMB. You got to play by these rules and it starts right now. And at least this fall, I have not seen very much evidence like you guys both mentioned that any elite athletes are like rank and file getting in line and being like, oh, sorry, Javelina. Oh, sorry, Worlds. Oh, sorry, Cape Town. Got to go run UTMB Mexico. Like it, I just don't right. see it happening. It's- no, and it almost like, I mean, we can, we'll probably talk more on this in a future episode or something, but it just emphasizes over racing to some degree. And I think we've moved away from that a good bit the last couple years as a whole in like elite ultra running. Um, so I think being able to space your season out based on more races that are like inspiring you and like have deep competition, um, are going to keep people healthy longer and competing longer. Any other thoughts, Brett? Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like even despite how many races there have been this fall, we're still creating a preview episode for ultra trail Cape town. Cause there are still that many names yeah. coming to it. And that partly just kind of goes to show how deep this sport is getting. Um, which, yeah, I mean, that's just super cool. Um, it is kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into this later when we, you know, break down some of these races, but you know, the hundred K is the most competitive race of, all the distances. Um, but from a prize money breakdown, the hundred mile has the biggest prize. Per- yes. And I wonder if that will be a kind of like a sign of the future for this race in regards to putting more emphasis on, be- on, I guess the longest event being their premier. And because up until this year, the hundred K was the longest distance the hundred mile is new. Um, so I'm curious if, you know, just what, what both races will look like in future years to come. Um, cause if, yeah, the way the prize purse is broken down says that I think it seems like there's more emphasis on the hundred Yeah, miles. this is a good conversation too. Like something that I've been thinking about is like, you think about Tarawera where their premier event for years is the hundred K and then they added on a hundred mile in recent years. And I don't think that's necessarily took off or like brings the exact same competition that the hundred K still does. And I'm curious if this will be the same way, or if there are examples of races that have Mm -hmm. done this structure, like added a hundred mile at a later date and seen that hundred mile take off. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, Cause I wonder Mm -hmm. if like it, the hundred K just historically has brought deep competition and people are attracted by that, by that history, you know? And Leah, to your point earlier, I mean, you mentioned Run Rabbit Run not necessarily attracting the deepest fields, despite one of the largest, if not the largest prize person on the American circuit. Uh, will this uh, increased prize purse at the 100 mile distance uh, be the carrot that moves runners away from the 100K? It's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, it is. That is a good point. 
Well, I think we can talk about like just other interesting facets of the race and how it's built over the course of the episode. Should we move on to uh, just like the general features of maybe the 100K course and what makes it interesting, challenging, stuff like that? Yeah, totally. Um, I did write down just like a brief, um, just kind of like like a schedule of the whole weekend across oh, all the yeah, races yeah. for those Take it away. are listening and want to know. So the race... Oh, I didn't write like actual, everything's in like Cape Town time zone. So we'll have to, we'll have to map that one out. (laughs) But, uh, the, the whole like race weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with the hundred mile starting at 5 PM on Friday. So that one's kind of, you know, mirroring kind of your European, like UTMB, type start where you know you immediately have a couple hours of daylight running and then go into the night and everyone's everyone's going through at least one night um prior to the 100 mile start uh the shorter distance races um like the 55k and the 23k those go off friday morning uh the 55k at 7 a.m and the 23k at 9 a.m and then the 100k starts saturday morning at 6 a.m. And it sounds like there's going to be like live feeds across definitely the 100K, but all of the other races as well, right? Yeah. With the live broadcast, they're going for a tour. Defer- I mean, this is going to be an amazing live broadcast based on what we have heard uh, offline. Like it, they're going for like a Tour de France type feel. Emily Hoggood, Corinne Malcolm, a few others are going to be commentating the race the internet connection is apparently going to be excellent, like no crazy latency issues. It's not like Western States or maybe at times Javelina. Um, they're going to have e-bikes out there, like like these uh, followers on e-bikes. There's going to be a helicopter out there getting footage. I guess there's going to be like oh, teams teams of people following each of the podium or the, the people currently in podium position at the 100 mile, 100K and 55K races, both on the male and female side. So they're going all out, it seems, Yeah, which is awesome. It's really cool. And I think um, something we heard as well is, um, you know, in a lot of the live coverage we see in races, we're oftentimes just getting the view of the back of the runner, you know, going uphill or going on a downhill. And this race, they're really emphasizing, you know, seeing the face and the work and the grit of the runner that they're yes. following. So following the runner mm-hmm. from in front of them, uh, which I think will be really cool just to be in the midst of things and seeing what that looks like for the people who are running, you know, in podium position late in the game. And if I understand this correctly, they're also trying to make this as like, like you just said, Leah, like as watchable as possible. So if there's any breaks in the, in the footage or competition, they'll like bump to like interviews that they did with the athletes before the event, Mm. other content they've created. So they're really trying to make it like, I don't know if either of you have watched the Tour de France, but very like interspersed like that, which I find very cool. I think that is so necessary for a, you know, 12 hour plus, you know, event. You can't just have cameras on runners and there's going to be times where cameras are not on runners. And then there's ultimately downtime. Um, And yeah, being able to strategically fill that downtime with, interesting uh, pieces of content I think is so crucial for an entertaining yeah broadcast. I love this because I think it's something that our races in the U.S. especially can learn from and I think that's something we could definitely implement for races where 
we don't have as great cell service like Western states, for example, and there ends up being, you know, unfortunate downtime whenever things cut out that you could have this backlog of storytelling and pictures and videos and everything just put together to fill that space. So, you know, Corinne doesn't need to be filling 24 hours of content just by her voice. One more thing I want to say, actually, before we we get to sort of the course uh, beta and whatnot, it seems like if you want to build a premier international event in 2022, the four factors are it's got to be in a destination location. You got to build a really solid elite field. You got to have a baller live coverage feed. And maybe it's debatable, but like good prize money's in there as well as like the fourth factor. Is that, does that sound about like the formula today? Like regardless of whether you're affiliated with UTMB or not like that, what do you guys think? I mean, that sounds about right. It's kind of, it's super interesting how like prize money is so low on the hierarchy because and like road running and track, it's all about appearance fees. And like for the marathon, it's all about like winning a marathon major is bigger than winning gold in the Olympics because, you know, you're going to cash out like a million dollars between the race prize purse and your sponsor. And that has been their formula to get the most competitive fields. And that's interesting. It's just interesting that that's just not the case with, you know, mountain and trail running. I agree with that. Also, I think a lot of times the sponsors are where the money is coming from for races like this. Like the athlete might negotiate prior, Hey, this is a premier like tier one event that should have a tier one structure bonus in our contract. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if I win this, I get $5,000. So therefore, you know, winning $3,500 us dollars here is like not necessarily what's bringing the person there. It's more the course, the competition, uh, you know, going somewhere that they wouldn't have been otherwise on likely a sponsors or the races dime, I think is desirable Mm. for some. That's an interesting thought, like kind of tangenting off that. So this, this race last year was part of like a like the UTMB type series, the, right? the world tour. Like, were, yeah, yeah, ultra trail um, world tour. So, f- from a lot of like professional runners' like standpoints regarding contracts, you know, most of like ultra trail world tour races get clumped into one of the higher yes. tiers of races. Um, this being the first year that it's not, I imagine it probably just rolled over for most people, but will, I mean, I hope that this race, you know, gets enough notoriety as its own like solo venture that in contracts for professional athletes, even though, cause I guess that's another, the, the, the title sponsor for this race isn't a shoe company. It's bank. a bank. Um, so it's not like, you know, Hoka or Solomon is necessarily going to encourage all of their runners going to be like, oh, because this is a Hoka race or Solomon race, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a much larger bonus if you win this. Um, I'm curious to see what this race looks like on various bonus structures of professional runners moving forward. Um, I hope that it, you know, I guess that could be a scenario where having the prize money from the race mm-hmm. is an opportunity for the athlete to be like, you got to at least yeah. match this because they're, they're going to give me this much, you know, they're going to give me $3,500 for winning the hundred miles. So I should get at least 3,500 from my sponsor. So that could at least be a nice bargaining chip and, um, you know, a point of emphasis for 
the race, you know, in this circumstance, having their own prize purse. Well, and to tangent off of that, uh, yeah, this is a nonpartisan race in the sense that you, like, like you said, it's a, it's a bank, not a running brand putting all the money behind it. And yet we still see, for example, Adidas Terex sending 15 to 20 athletes over across the 55K, 23K, 100K, 100 mile. That's fascinating because that was one of the reasons why UTMB took off, you know, middle of the decade, last decade is they just deemed it important and they send athletes over there regardless of, uh, you know, how it fits into their brand ecosystem. So Mm -hmm. this is exciting times for this race. Should we talk about course? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Which one? Which I, I say just because, you know, we're 25 minutes and maybe we focus on the hundred K course. Cause I think it does share a lot of features with the other ones. So, um, maybe we like, let's talk about like the terrain first. Like what sticks out to you about like the, the unique challenges of this race compared to other races we've covered. Yeah. I like, um, on the website, it described it as a front loaded technical route. And I think that's, that's very mm-hmm. true. I'm the front loaded, especially in terms of, um, a lot of the climbing and the steepest climbs come in that early one third of the race. Um, and I'm assuming a lot of the technicality does as well. Uh, so I think this race is definitely a combination of pretty technical parts, but then also I do think mm. it's pretty cruisy at times, um, which I think that combination is where like our North American runners seem to excel is whenever you can have this combo of technical sections, cruisy sections, long-ish climbs, but nothing like the length you see in a lot of the Euro races. Hmm. Yeah. It's at first it sounded much scarier that the course is front loaded in terms of the first half being harder than the second half, but thinking about it, like actually being there, I would rather kind of do the harder half first on a fresher mind and legs. Cause even if, the first half is easier. I still have to do it before getting to the second half. And that would only just increase my chances of rolling an ankle, falling, you know, tripping on rocks. Um, that's, you know, that's also coming from someone who doesn't run much of any technical terrain. So, uh, you know, that's, that's what stood out as one of the more difficult elements of the course is that, everyone says like, there's a lot more rocks out there than one might expect. And then kind of digging through some of the pictures of the race, there's a couple sections where, you know, you look at the trail and it's 100%, you know, like golf ball to softball sized rocks. And that is just what the trail is made of. And that is my nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, the hundred K. So I think we mentioned earlier, it does one big loop. Um, and it's, 40, just almost 5,000 meters in 98K is how it's advertised on the website, which equates to roughly 61 miles with just over 16,000 feet of climbing. Um, We did note from looking at prior years that it doesn't follow the exact course that it did in prior years. Um, We were specifically looking Mm. at like last Jim Walmsley Strava from last year, where it looks a little different, but roughly the same. So I think in terms of mileage and vert, they're nearly identical courses. Um, but I think some of the trails you take, and I think this year, but there might be a little bit more technicality. I'm not sure if you guys agree or disagree with that. We had a chance to talk with Cody Reed, who's, who's been, you know, he won the race, I think, was it last year or two years ago? A few years ago, Jim won. I think it was a couple of years, couple years ago. ago. One of the greatest upsets of all time, mm-hmm. uh, beating out Francois Dane. Dang. 
but uh, he he talked about this race being a little harder, I think. Because there, also there's a video on the Cape Town website of, of uh, Jim and Cody sitting in a bar and it's before Jim uh, wins the race last year. And uh, Jim talks about this, this, this updated course clearly being harder, but uh, he's going to quote, play it as the ball lies and uh, he'll still fight to beat Cody's time from the previous year. So I think this one is a little bit more technical. Yeah. And I think all in all, the course has roughly six major climbs with the biggest climb being around the 20k mark and i think you go up and hit table mountain which is right around a thousand meters or 3500 feet um and that's the biggest climb of the day uh and i think that it's about what was it 30 3000 feet and three and a half miles um and then the biggest climb after that is about 2000 feet and three and a half miles um so overall like not huge 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 climbs um i think two big ones and then everything else it looks very relentless that was the one takeaway from me previewing um all the data online was just the relentless punchy climbs um i think that'll really tire you out towards the end we've had three american winners at this race courtney dewalter cody reed jim wamsley is there anything about those runners that uh says anything about this course too? Like, do you think there's a type of runner? Because we're about to talk about the men's and women's fields. Are you looking for a type of runner in these races uh, based on this course profile that's bound to do well? Hmm. I mean, I initially thought like, yeah, there must, there's a type, but then when you actually say the names out loud, like, I feel like those three runners are actually all pretty different. Um, Whereas like, you know, Courtney's definitely excels at like the very long, very difficult, courses jim has been great at kind of the medium distance more runnable cody's kind of jumped back and forth um and had success at both maybe not quite at the highest end of jim or courtney but i think that kind of goes to show you might actually be able to win this race a couple different ways um kind of like leah said there's some pretty punchy climbs i mean of course it's going to be difficult when they throw a vk at you you know 20k into the race uh into 100k but there's actually kind of looking at the course profile the climbs are very punchy but there's some decently long kind of approaches in between some of the climbs where you know someone like courtney would be able to gain distance on the actual climbing and descending someone like jim might be able to gain distance on the in-betweens of the climbs so uh that you know, might lead to some pretty fun uh, yo-yoing between, you know, runners over the course of the race. Yeah. yeah. Something I, I think when I was looking at the entrance fin, I was picking out athletes who I felt like had a good combination of both speed and spending time in the mountains. Like, so I wanted to see somebody that's like, you know, done really well at a mountain race, but then has also done quite well at a more runnable, maybe short distance race as well. Um, and I think it's interesting mm. too. Marianne Hogan got second place for the women to Courtney last year here. And like, if you just look at her last year of results, like she's done all those things. Like she did, she won Bandera. She got uh, third at Western state. She got second at UTMB. um, And then she did very well here. So I think it's that person that can run on technical terrain, can run fast when it matters, but then can also fare quite well in a mountain race. And I think those are the people that'll do the best. By the way, a little bit of an aside here, but I think, and this is credit to how good of a season Marianne Hogan has had. It seems like an eternity ago that she got second to Courtney at Cape Town. So long And that was last year. 
Um, interesting. The, the other thing, the weather here uh, seems like an interesting point to bring up because we were talking with Cody and he mentioned that you almost want to like be sort of cycling through different layers at different points of the course. It can get very cold, very windy on certain sections. Like mm-hmm. you're exposed in the sun at some points, then there's cloud cover in certain parts and uh, temperatures drop. So I, I think that's, I don't know what the strategy is going in when um, you have to cycle between different weather systems, but that's interesting to me too. Oh, just looking at the, um, mandatory gear list, um, because there is mandatory gear for all distances. Um, trying to learn. Okay. It's a decent amount of gear. And I guess, you know, there's probably scenarios where over, you know, one year you might not touch anything. And there might be other years where you might actually be throwing all the stuff on, you know, the very top end of a climb. And then 20 minutes later, you're throwing all of this stuff back into your pack. And for, you know, hyper competitive race like this, that kind of leads into the transition time and efficiency of how dialed your gear is, how quick you are in and out of aid stations, uh, that sort of thing, because even, even more so for, you know, a hundred K where, you know, it's be between like nine and 12 hours. That's much shorter than 20 plus hours for a race. And if you are still having to deal with some of this gear, it's going to be very important that you know where everything is in your pack and, you know, don't waste a lot of time trying to figure out what to do you know, with your, with your layering system. Yeah. Going in and out of these different climates reminded me a lot of the trans grand Canaria course where, you know, you're up in the mountains, then you're down on the beaches, you're in various elements throughout the day. And you actually, like you end up using almost all the required gear that is required of you. Um, and it was quite interesting then to see a lot of the people who are signed up for this race, um, across the hundred mile and the hundred K distance. A lot of them have actually done trans grand canary in the past so i don't think those Mm. courses are necessarily like that similar i think trans grand canary is quite a bit more technical but i think um, a lot of the elements are really similar so i have a question for the mandatory gear list that also has existed on the utmb gear list so an example it says for hydration you have to have a minimum of like 1.5 liters capacity but you have to have of those 1.5 liters, 300 milliliters must be in reserve at all times. Mm. And I haven't read down the rules, but usually if, if you get checked for something and you don't have it, there's either a time penalty or a disqualification. If I am blowing up in the race and I go through all of my water and I don't, and I use my 300 milliliter of reserve water because it's an emergency and then they check me at the aid station and I don't have it. Do I get penalized for Or that? if you're using the water or, for topical cooling purposes too. Yeah, well, how, who's to say what I'm using with it? Or do I have to make sure to drink just down to 300 milliliters of water left? Because if I use that, I'm going to get penalized. Letter of the law. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I would argue you probably need to keep 300 yeah. milliliters left, to be honest. Then that is a <laughs> stupid rule. The same thing goes for that goes for the the reserve of uh, it says you must have two hundred and fifty calories of food in reserve at all times. What if yeah. I need it, but I'm it's an emergency, but I'm not so much in an emergency that I'm you know 
just trying to finish. Maybe it's an emergency to not blow up because I'm still in the top three. I, I'm that's this. Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard this before in terms of like having. I think I've heard like extra f- food, but I haven't ever heard that with regards to water, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, this um, this actually all got brought up. Uh, th- this is this is what <laughs> goes on in the mind of David <laughs> this is what. We are, this is what we're talking about before races as his coach. <laughs> like these are the types of scenarios we're talking hey, about. Hey, this is a great example too of how casual due diligence in preparation for a analysis episode can uncover some uh, <laughs> maybe rules that don't make so much sense. Perhaps. Brett Hornig doing, doing, doing the people's work. <laughs> this is what keeps Brett up at <laughs> night. You know, we, we must get to the bottom. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's confusing. Same thing goes for the headlamp batteries. Like, am I allowed to use my spare headlamp batteries? Or if I use them and they check and my spares are actually dead? I don't know. I don't know. Well, before we before we preview the men's and women's fields, I, I want to throw this question out to both of you. I know that we don't have like an official hierarchy of races in the sport in terms of like what's, what's important, what's like an A event, et cetera. Like that's probably a whole episode to itself. But let's just say that like, the people that we're about to preview, they, they get a podium here, they win. How much street cred does a podium or a win at ultra trail Cape town give you in the wider context of our sport? Leah, what do you think? Mm, Good question. Um, (laughs) I think it gives you some, like, I don't think it's a Western States podium, a UTMB podium by any means, but I think it's kind of equivalent to like a Lavarado trans grand Canaria uh, Cape town. I feel like these are all draw, draw very similar, uh, competition. So I think something like that. How about you, Brett? I mean, I think winning the race, it really depends yeah. on who you beat. Um, you know, cause if you win the race and there's the competition for the race has totally died and there's no one there, you know, I, I think a race like, People will notice that, you know, but if you get second in this race and it was the deepest field ever and everyone's, you know, like, you know, a couple minutes apart from each other coming all the way through, you know, I think that's where a lot of the weight of a win here, you know, exists. And historically in previous years, you know, all the races have been moderately deep and pretty competitive, pretty elite, especially at the very upper end. So, you know, I think it still kind of holds true with this year where if you win and, you know, you kind of see the history of who has won it in recent years, it's, it's a big deal. If you're a runner in a contract season and maybe your year hasn't gone exactly the way you've wanted it to go, could a good performance here rescue said season and maybe reinvigorate your relationship with the brand or your prospects for the next year? I mean, I think it can help because there are a lot of people in this race who have sponsors. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And I think there's not a lot happening towards the end of the year. So it gives you that one more talking point, right? As December rolls around. Yeah. If you were kind mm-hmm. of like right on the bubble, between, you know, if a brand was on the bubble with you and someone else, and then all of a sudden you just go and, you know, wreck a bunch of people who are full-time pros, you know, internationally. That's, yeah, that's, um, that, 
That's a great bargaining chip for you, for sure. Leah, who are some of your favorite contenders and their associated storylines in the women's field? Okay, let's take a look here. So I think Camelia Bruas, who got second at UTMB in 2021, um, running just over yep. 24 hours. She also got 10th place at Western States this year off of not ideal training for her coming into it. I think she was coming off an injury. Mm. Um, yep. And then just beat Ruth Croft at Le Templier, um, which yeah. like Ruth Croft has been rather unbeatable the last couple of years. So, um, and I think I Ru- Ruth had a good day there too. So I don't think either of them like were struggling out there. They both had really solid days. And the reason I really like Camila is the fact that kind of what I spoke to earlier is evidence of being able to excel on a faster, like 50-ish mile course like Lake Templier is, but then also having documented success at a big mountain race like UTMB. And then like, you know, throwing her name in the hat at Western States, like she can do it all. And I think this is going to be the perfect combination, um, especially coming off of the fast race she just had at Lake Templier. Uh, So she's the one I'm Mm. most excited to see race because I think she's really going to put it all together for a pretty great race. Um, one more thing there. Uh, she's raced Cape Town before too, back in 2018. Nice. She got 11th place. So it wasn't like her day, but she has course experience too. That's helpful. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. That's mm-hmm. exciting. Um, I think we have Mimi Koka running as well. And she won Lavaredo this year and then had a DNF at UTMB this year, but then has gotten third at UTMB in 2021. So she's a pretty solid racer. I mean, she has had her fair share of DNFs over the last couple of years, I think in and out of some injury. But when she shows up, she really shows up. And I think we saw that at Lavaredo this year as well. And she's she's just really solid, especially in the mountains. So I'm excited to see what she'll put together. Um, and then we have our third place women's finisher from last year, uh, Maryline Nakachi from France. I'm excited to see what she does, if she can improve on what she did here last year as well. Um, getting third to Courtney and Marianne. And then I think this year she... Got fourth in Madeira, and I think she has a top 10 at UTMB to her name as well. Um, yes, yeah, so those are some of the international women I'm excited for. And then we have a couple of Americans, Nicole Bitter, Olivia Amber, um, and Kelly Wolf. And I think Kelly Wolf has had a really solid but probably understated year so far. She tends yeah. to go to some of these big international mountain races, but has been doing usually a shorter distance at each of them. So it doesn't get as big of headliner uh, knowledge and appreciation, but she won the Lavaredo 80K this year and she won the Madeira 85K um, and then followed that up with the DNF at CCC this year. So I think she races mm. internationally quite well um, whenever she doesn't, when she's not struggling with injury or maybe whenever she doesn't have a DNF, I think she really does show up. So I'm excited to see what kind of shape she's in. Those are definitely, the, you know, some of the, the heavy hitters there. Um there was a few athletes, a few Russian athletes that uh, have had some pretty solid race results in the last, you know, twelve months or so. Varvara uh, Shikanova, a Solomon athlete, was third at Ultra Pyrenees uh, just a like a month and a bit ago. Um, and then also Anne Ashworth from South Africa, who was fourth in mm. the race last year at uh, Ultra Show Cape mm. Town, also returns to. Uh, hopefully improve upon that. I forgot to mention Ekaterina Mitiev, um, who is, I think, wife to Dmitry Mitiev, who's also racing. Um, yeah. She's really solid as well. She's had a fourth place at TDS. And 
I think has been on the podium in nearly all of her races in the last two years, um, probably aside from that fourth place of TDS, which is mm-hmm. an exceptional result nonetheless. One more name I'll throw out there. Uh, Nicole Bitter, who just came off a third place finish at Javelina. Very interested to see if it's g- given the level of competition she aspires to each race, if it's possible to turn it around and race a hundred K three or four weeks later, like Brett, I know you just raced Havelina and you know, you're not really running that much. So, um, I'm very interested I've, to see. I've gone like six <laughs> since the race. So it, it'll be interesting. I mean, she's obviously, uh, proven at Western States, Black Canyon, Havelina, and is definitely a name that's recognizable. And, um, but yeah. Yeah. What I like about Nicole is like, I feel like she really excels at the flat fast things. Like that's when we see, have seen all of her great race results, but she is not afraid to race the more burly mountain races, despite training relatively flat. I think they live in Texas. Um, like she's done the Tushers 70 K. I think I raced her there once she's done Madeira. Um, yeah, she has a lot. I think, um, yeah, she did canyons this year. So she definitely puts her hat in it, um, for some of the more mountainous races and like does pretty well and like holds her own for sure. Mm. Leah, do you think how much of a given and or a struggle will it be to see one of these American women on the podium in this race? Um, yeah, I think, I feel like Kelly Wolf is the most likely podium contender. Um, Olivia Amber, um, she lives in San Francisco and she's a North Face athlete. She's also racing. This will be her longest race yet. Um, and she's had some good success here in the United States. Um, so I am really excited to see what she can put together. But I will say, I think just based on Kelly Wolf's level of experience and success at, you know, international mountain races, I think she's our most likely podium contender for sure. Mm. Any other thoughts, Brett? Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with all that. You know, it seems like at the very, you know, say like top three contenders for the ladies race, um, there, there's some, there's some, cause, uh, there's a handful who are now running this race who didn't finish mm-hmm. UTMB. So there's, we're kind of looking at some like pretty big potential redemption stories and, you know, some of these people who didn't finish at UTMB were people who we mentioned in our preview show of being like podium contenders. So when we're talking podium contenders for UTMB, you're pretty much almost favoriting them for any other mountain yeah. race uh, throughout the year. So, um, yeah, it's it's super competitive at the very top end. And yeah, that's I think that to get on the podium is something, you know, Kelly Wolf has had performances in the past that kind of equate to that good. It again, just comes down to like, which day is she going to have? Is it going to be a, a win the race or a not finish the race type day? One thing I think, uh, that deserves mentioning before we get into our free trail picks here is that, uh, the prize purse for free trail is insane. So if, if we get, if any one of us gets these picks, right. Or if anyone who plays gets these picks, right. I think Stuart, the race director was talking with Dylan and it'll be a free race entry, free flight, free hotel accommodations for whoever wins. So there's a lot on the line here. And, uh, we were talking about that offline. Leah, who is your, who's your top five and why? Yeah, Leah, who are you? <laughs> Let's hear your picks first. 
so you can the most successful of us three. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious. <laughs> okay, so I've got. Let's see here. I've got Camelia Bruas for first place. I guess I should have went backwards. Whatever, I'll go down first or fifth. Um, then I have uh, Mimi Kotka for second place, Kelly Wolf for third, Ekaterina Mitieva for fourth, and um, Maryline Nakache from France, who got uh, third here. I have her in fifth place. How about you, Brett? Those were not my five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about just being like, whoa, I picked all the same exact people. Uh, we do have the same overall nice. winner. Uh, so I think, yeah, Camila Bruyas is, I think he's going to win. I have uh, Maryline Nakash moving up from her third last year to get second. Uh, Mimi Kotka third. And then Vavara Shikanova in fourth. And then Kelly Wolf rounding out fifth. Okay. And yeah, I'm kind of going just a little bit off of like race history in the past year as well as maybe like just potential like who might be most motivated to like really crush this race i'm just trying trying to get in the headspace Wait, who are your who are your one two brett i had uh camila brias and maryline nakash and then leah who were your one two i had camelia and mimi Kotka. okay yeah i, I have mimi Kotka at one and camille brias at two and I, I do think it's going to be like, cause we've talked about both of them in the UTMB preview. And I think Mimi was probably at least one of our, our projected winners before she DNF'd. And I think that that's going to be an interesting storyline for the race is like their battle for one, two. Um, Brett, I was hoping that you'd have this, a similar one, two, so that we could <laughs> have an agreed upon storyline there. But uh, unfortunately <laughs> that was undermined. <laughs> well, unfortunate that I, there's I could always change things <laughs> on the actual fantasy picks. We we talked about a fantasy free trail conspiracy here where we all pick the same stuff, but no, we're gonna we're gonna put stick to our guns. Uh, so I got Mimi Koka number one, Camille Brias number two, E Katarina Mityev three, I got Kelly Wolf four, and then uh, my flyer pick is Olivia Amber at five. And I'm I'm looking at her Strava right now and she just spent like six straight weeks between fourteen and sixteen hours time on feet. From what I understand in our pre-race convo, like she's totally unencumbered when it comes to other life stress. Like she's on a work sabbatical right now, and I think that some pretty cool things can happen when like your your one focus is running and you can really recover and stuff. So I know this is her first international or one of her first international races and longest race to date, like you said, Leah. But um, I gotta I gotta put on my biased American hat here and hope that. Uh, she can get the day that her training may indicate is possible. Yeah. Her training has been beautiful. I'm excited to see how she does. It really has. Yeah. Cool. Um, any other, any other cool storylines in, in the women's field here or like face-offs or anything like that that you're excited to see? Um, I got a question. Yeah. Or with this field, are, are we on course record watch? Mm. You know, I'm very curious we, to see thinking? how the course runs compared to last year's, being that it is a little different. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I think if it were the same as last year, I don't think we're on course record watch. I think, I mean, Courtney beat Marianne by 55 minutes last year, which is wow. mind-blowing. And Marianne's a very solid bracer herself. Um, 
So I think people would run within mm-hmm. maybe 20 minutes of what Courtney did last year. So Courtney ran 11:20, which I believe was a course record. Marianne ran 12:15, and then third place Mary Lyon ran 12:27. Um, so the whole podium was under 12:30 for the women. I think we'll see the whole podium under 12:30, but I'm I don't know if we'll see 11:20 like Courtney ran. I mean, that brings up another interesting question, Leah. How how big do you think the spread is going to be in this race for let's just say the top five? Like, are we talking about minutes or hours here, in your opinion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the top five will be within mm, forty five minutes of each other, probably. Um, whereas last year the spread was an hour, hour, hour seven. That's not bad. Um, I think we're going to see, I bet you we see the top five under, under what we saw third place in last year is my guess. We'll see top five. So a more put together, exciting race mm-hmm. from, uh, like a true, yeah. Yeah. Cause I even and think like- the race director might've alluded to that too. It's just like, we had a couple pretty competitive people last year, but maybe was lacking a little bit of the depth. Whereas this year, I think it's, it's pretty deep compared to what they've seen in the past. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about the men's field. Um, Brett, what are your, what are your favorite storylines and, and contenders coming in? So, you know, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, um, this this hundred k is a cool distance because you do really get a sweet mixture of big mountain hundred mile kind of experts and then some you know more runnable faster uh, experts as well you know really overlapping for this kind of like fun middle ground distance and you know like the ladies race I think we're seeing that you know we see that in the in the men's race as well. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like Hans Namberger from Germany, uh, Dina Fit athlete. You know, he's probably looking to redeem that DNF at UTMB. Um, just won Lavaredo this year, mm. um, so motivation might be high. Maybe a few less overall race miles in the legs for him. Um, Dmitry Mitiev from. Russia, Adidas Terex, uh, Red Bull athlete as well. Um, second at Ultra Pyrenees. Um, and then over the course of the last year, he was first or second in every Ultra that he did, which was, I think, like six or seven races. So that's pretty solid. And then we have the highest returner from last year, Sebastian Spaler mm-hmm. uh, from France, uh, running for Solomon, I believe, still, right? Yes. How did he do here last Any, year? Anyone know? Yeah. Okay. Second to Walmsley. Second. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, went out a little bit more controlled because uh, I forget the name is escaping me, but it was another guy leading Jim for a while before Jim pulled away, I think on the first big climb, Table Mountain. And then Seb actually started getting pretty close to Jim before ultimately starting to fade a little bit. But, uh, Similarly to Seb's most recent race at uh, the Festival de Templier, the 80K, he was second yeah. to Jim, you know, about a month ago and um, not too far off. So seems to be in, you know, pretty good shape and has experience on the course. So that'll be exciting. Um, who else? Uh, was it Daniel Claussen from South Africa was fifth at the race 
last year. He did just have a DNF at Transvolcania um, last mm-hmm. month. I, I don't know if that was, you know, just a bad day and saved it for Ultra Trail Cape Town. If that was maybe the goal race or if that was like an injury type thing. So there, if if it was like a, a preventative drop for the sake of Ultra Trail Cape Town, there could be some, you know, extra motivation there as well. Um, and then, yeah, we've got a couple interesting American names like Drew Holman. Uh, this is his first international race. And Drew's exciting because he's just like such a gutsy racer. Um, you know, like just totally trashed himself at States the last few years. The finish line scene was um, just incredible. He yeah, held the throw up bag yes. up though. He did not turn it down. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, so there's, yeah, we're puking on the track and this was thinking, can, is that a Western States magic type extra layer of motivation or can that level of competition be brought to another race? That's a question I'm very curious about. Um, and then Jared Hazen's also on the entrance list, which he's another one where I'm like for better part of the last few years have just been question marks in regards to which, which Jared is showing up today because, you know, Jared, Jared has the potential to win the whole thing. Um, just don't know which, I don't, don't know what his training has been like or how he's feeling going into this. Well, one. one thing about Drew he's very selective about the races he does and he gives himself plenty of time to rest and recharge. Like I'm sure he could have done CCC or UTMB, uh, back in August. And I think he just like actively chose not to do it the same way. Leah, mm-hmm. like you were mentioning, like you, you said, you know, not this year. And so I, I do think that we're going to get like a whole drew Holman at this race. Like he'll be ready to go. I think so um, too. I love watching drew race because I think he, I mean, he nails it. Like he doesn't really have bad days either. Um, so I think he's just, he's really consistent and strong and knows how to race. So I'm excited to see how he does in a pretty deep international field, especially. And then, yeah, with Jared, it's like, which, which Jared shows up because there's no average race for him. Like he doesn't, he doesn't finish sixth in races. He either it's spectacular or there's a DNF Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I just can't see him finishing like fourth or fifth in this race. It's either like first or second or um he's not finishing something something to that effect and and i say that with all of the respect like i love jared like great interview great guy great runner oh, yeah, one totally. of the best of our generation it's it's so uh, yeah jared's a very ballsy racer he races to win for a significant amount longer time than most people race to win like at western states you know there's 25 different guys who start the race and they're all racing to win but by the 50k mark half of them have backed off and being like okay now i'm racing for top 10 jared was racing to win until he could no longer race at all and to be able to fight the the demons of slow down is very very impressive to just blindly be like i don't know if i'm going to finish but like yeah i listened to his pre-race interview with you and he was like yeah when adam started to move he's like oh i think adam's gonna win (laughs) but i want to win so i'm just gonna cover adam's moves as long as possible and covering those moves did not last to the finish but he just went for it until explosion and i think there's yeah i think there's a huge amount of bravery in that like that's 
that's impressive to just ignore all the warning signs and go for it. Oh no, so. he gets he gets a single track salute. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Very very brave. <laughs> Trademark <racer>. pending. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm curious. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm excited to see what Jared ends up doing because he will make the coverage of the race very exciting and you know drew will do it Mm -hmm. a different way where you know he is going to run like whatever the race he needs to run like shy like without distraction to get to the finish line as fast as possible which in many cases or at least with his you know historical you know years of racing for him it's being pretty conservative at the start and then like closing very hard um so we will see if we have a Drew home run. <laughs> so good. Ooh, so bad. Any other names? Any other names, Leah? That that stick out to you? Yeah, um, I don't know. Did you mention Per Aurel from Spain, Brett? So that's Ragnar Debats, her husband. Um, and I like that they show up at races together and usually race the same distance. Um, in this race, she's racing the hundred mile and he's running the hundred k. Uh, he DNF'd La Vareda this year, but was third at Trans Grand Canaria. Um, so he's really solid. He's always in the mix, like with like Pal Capel and yeah. those guys. Um, so I'm really excited to see how he does. Um, same comments on Drew and Jared. Something about Jared, though, man, he like, gosh, he races the way I want to race, like at least one time in my life just to see how it'll go. But um, I don't know if he's had a great international performance yet. Um kind of hit or miss like I think he performs pretty well like on U.S. soil but I think a lot of his international attempts haven't gone quite like he probably would want to so I'm hoping hoping this is the one for him um mm. there's a Romanian guy Ianel Christian Manole um he was first mm-hmm. at Val Duran by UTMB last year I believe and then um fourth at Ultra Pirineu but has a slew of DNFs on his um ITRA, so Madeira, UTMB, Grand Canaria, and I think those are all just this year. Um, so I feel like when he's on, he's on, but I'm curious, you know, if he'll, what this DNF streak says about maybe his a history with injury or maybe just tough racing this year. Um, mm. Yeah, and the only other thing I wanted to add was um, I think Hans Nuremberger is definitely a favorite in this race, and I think um, – yeah. Dimitri Matiev will be up there as well, but I they I think they raced at some point in the last year, and Hans beat him, beat Dimitri by nearly forty five minutes in like a hundred k, okay. maybe seventy mile type race. So yeah, I think it'll it'll be interesting for podium positioning because I think like Brett mentioned, Dimitri has been like on a podium in every single race since twenty eighteen, pretty much. So he's super solid. A couple others here. Johan Lance was on the podium here in 2018, third place. Uh, actually raced his Swedish teammate, Elav Olsen, to the finish. I think they were like four months apart. Four hour, uh, uh, four minutes apart, not four days. Not four days. <laughs> four minutes. Or four it months. felt like four days, but it was four minutes. <laughs> um, and then I got to give a shout out to another American, Michelino Sanseri, who hails from the western slopes of the Grand Tetons in Driggs, Idaho. I feel like that's just a badass training location so that deserves a a single track salute as well he's leah and i know him because uh he's performed well at speed goat in recent years Uh, i think he won the race in like five 
five five low mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years back, and this this will be his first, I think, international race and his longest distance to date. But super strong guy, and uh, yeah, just wanted to throw those two in there. Yeah, I think he just got fourth at Pikes Peak um, this summer as well. So pretty solid result considering that mm-hmm. brought uh, some pretty deep competition this year. Yep. Yeah, that was the marathon, so he did also have mm-hmm. to go down mm-hmm. the mountain. Brett, which mm-hmm. that's important. Brett, I also I feel like I didn't uh, I feel like I didn't give you enough credit for Drew home run, but that was a really good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's it's pretty incredible that I actually don't have kids. <laughs> uh, like these these yeah these dad jokes. Just... I, I feel like I don't give you enough credit in real time for your humor, and then I go back and listen to the episode, and I'm just cracking up. So. We're, we're doing it live right now. I don't know. That I think sick. the Brad Hornick quote of the year, though, is just the depth is so deep. And I think <laughs> that was Speed Goat. Yeah, I know. No, I think my favorite one was uh, talking about people getting oh, aged in the good. flag. So. <laughs> that one did not get enough love. The, the depth is too is deep. That was so good. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I giggle about that one like once a week still. Gets a lot of mileage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, one name that we have not yet to bring up, which was kind of unfortunate that they had to—they're not in the hundred k anymore—is Anton Krupitschka. Oh yeah. Uh, that that would have been exciting to see, but it sounds like he's not quite re- like at this point in the year, not ready to full-on race the hundred k to the capacity that he would want to and um you know it sounded like from your pre-race interview with him that it was like i i wouldn't be able to do the course justice for how competitive i would like to be so he's going to do the 55k instead i feel like uh, you know we talked about how in the live coverage they're going to have permanently camera people on the top three runners in each event male and female i feel like if anton was in the 100k they would make an exception and add a fourth crew and they would just follow him no matter what which would be a great move would be a crowd pleaser. Yeah, I mean that would that would increase viewership for sure. Um, Brett, who are you? Who are your free I trail think, picks? Oh yeah, I so for the win, I'm going with Seb's failure. You know, second place last year, experience on the course. You know, seems fit this year and has had has had success in kind of the. I would say this seems to be a little bit on the long side from a time standpoint for his racing uh, kind of pocket uh but you know having gotten second last year and potentially knowing what needs to be fixed to uh land atop the podium i think he's gonna do it um then i've got dimitri mitiev to get second and hans namberger third i think drew holman is gonna work his way up to fourth um it wouldn't surprise me if he is not in fourth until, you know, the last five or 10 miles of the race. Um, and then I have Daniel Klassen to round out the top five to be the first South African runner to finish. How about you, Leah? I have Hans in first, Seb Speller for second again. Um, Dimitri in third because he hasn't been off the podium in like four years anywhere. Got Drew also in fourth and then uh, Pierre Aurel for fifth. 
I've got Seb Speller one, Dimitri two, Drew Home Run three, <laughs> Hannes four, and then my flyer, my Olivia Amber of the men's field is Michelino Sanseri in fifth. All right, cool. And I guess uh, something uh, we're talking about yeah. is the the time. So Jim ran the course record last year in nine forty seven. Mm-hmm. Seb finished in ten sixteen, and then there was a big, almost thirty minute gap to third, which was Andreas Retier for third. Um, but all top five were under eleven hours last year. Um, so, and I do know, I think Jim broke the mm-hmm. prior course record by only about three minutes. Um, and it's a South African who's also running the 100-miler this year, which will be pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, I'm curious this year if we'll see okay. similar times or, you know, anybody threatening that course record. Yeah. I guess part of that, too, can also be mm-hmm. weather-dependent. You know, if it's hot, you know, things are just going to be slow. Because I remember looking at a lot of the race footage from last year and it seemed like every time they went up a climb they got into the clouds and into the fog and it didn't look like it was so cold where people had to stop and throw on lots of additional layers it looked like it more just kind of kept things in pretty ideal conditions which definitely led to you know faster times i don't know if i saw any pictures last year of people you know dumping water on themselves um looking at Cape Town's weather, which I'm not sure exactly how that would change depending on where you are on the course. Uh, It looked pretty mild, um, but it showed overcast, I think the whole time, which can be good, but that could sometimes also lead to some extra humidity, um, which, you know, 70 degrees and humid doesn't feel Mm -mm. too great. Um, So I'm curious to see how, how weather can affect the times, you know, doesn't affect the racing at all. Um, so I guess kind of, I guess what I'm saying is I have no idea what the Mm -hmm. time's going to be, but I think the top five are going to be pretty close to each Mm -hmm. other. Um, you know, kind of as with what we're seeing more and more of, you know, at these high profile races is that there's less colossal blowups and tighter spreads from, you know, one to five or one Mm -hmm. to 10. Will it be harder to get an American on the podium in the men's field or the women's field, in your opinions? Ooh, that's a good question. I think Drew is our shot for the podium in the men's field. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really similar, honestly. Like, I think him and Kelly Wolf are, I have similar shots at a podium spot. I think Drew has, I could see him yeah. having a higher likelihood of the podium just ever so slightly. Yeah. I think like I think at the very top end in terms of like who's had their best career performances, you know, Jared Hazen could win the whole thing. That's true. And I think potentially place the highest out of any of the Americans, but I don't think I'm going to be the one to you know bet all my money on that just quite yet. Um, so I kind of then fall back to I think Kelly Wolf of all the Americans just because she's got two solid international finishes this year and this is drew's first time racing internationally which i don't know how much how early he's going to be able to get over there he's there hopefully he's already over there but okay so as long as he's not like all messed up from the travel like jet lag and such uh because that that learning how you how much time you need to kind of get back to 
homeostasis after a long flight like that. Uh, yeah, varies a ton from person to person. Someone like Kelly Wolf, who's had so much international racing experience, knows probably pretty well how you know how how to um, manage all those different. Yeah, variables. I also think we forgot to mention Kelly got fourth here. I think back in 2018, so she's raced here That's before right. too. So I think that experience will mm-hmm. give her a little bit of a leg up as well. Any other thoughts on the men's field? I think it's, yeah, I don't, like, yeah, we, did we all say, said, no, Leah, who'd you say? You said yeah. Hans, Hans. I don't feel like there's quite as, I feel like the, the men's, like, race is a little mm-hmm. bit more open in terms of the winner. Um, you know, it, it could potentially be a name that we That's have true. not said. Um, whereas I feel like on the ladies' side of our picks, the win- I, I feel more confident that the winner is coming out of mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. picks uh, than than on the men's side. But I think, yeah, again, I think I'm I'm just really excited to see a race of you know this caliber, and also have equally as high of a caliber uh, live stream and coverage. Before we go, I feel like we need to quickly acknowledge some of the interesting uh, runners and storylines in the 100-mile and 55K fields. Leah, are there any particular runners in the 100-mile that you're excited to follow? Uh, Yeah, I think Ragna. um, I believe she's she DNF'd Lavaredo this year um, and DNF'd UTMB. Um, But other than that, she's just been on the last year. And I think she was dealing with some injury and then just some external pressure I think for UTMB that led to her DNF, but I personally think she will run away with it in the hundred miler. Um, and I'm really excited to see her have a solid day. Um, and I think we also have Hillary Allen racing the hundred miler as yep. well. Um, on the men's side, um, there was, there was a Russian Alexei Tolstenko, um, yep. who runs for Adidas Terex as well. Um, fourth in Madeira and one Penny Glosa in 2021 and has a top 15 finish at, uh, I think the 2021 UTMB. So I think he's coached by Dmitry Mitiev, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, cool. I, I'm excited to see how he does <clears throat> as well. How about you, Brett? We've got, we've got Elav Olsen in the hundred yes. mile. So someone who does have experience on this course. Um, I was pro- not as well known for, like a hundred mile. It seems like he's won some slightly shorter, faster races. So I'm curious if this is like an attempt, uh, like a mm. distance or career pivot where he is with his running to like, you know, really try and get down that mountainous hundred mile. And then is photos, this of Greece, did he win the, um, Spartathlon. Mm. I don't know, but if you if, if you pronounced that correctly, that's that's an amazing name. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure. I thought I'm you said I thought you said right. photosynthesis. Um, <laughs> I mean, if that's how we're winning Spartathlon, then I get we need to get this guy on the pod because we need to learn about being able to soak up the sun. But uh, not that that not that winning Spartathlon really translates at all to the ultra trail Cape town, hundred mile. It is interesting though, that someone who could have that high profile of a faster win would go and do a mountainous hundred mile like this. I am checking me right now. No, you're right. I I heard some typing. I heard some typing. (laughs) 
like, okay. Well, I really wanted you to because I don't. I know that's what I was a little nervous for. Um, all this. No, you are right. Yeah, twenty-one hours, I think. Yeah, third. Fa- okay. and that's interesting too because yeah, I, he I, ran an amazing race there too. That was um, third fastest time to Giannis Koros at Spartathlon. Both he has the top two times. Um, oh wow! So this yeah. will be impressive. I'm excited for this one. I didn't notice that about yeah. him. Um, the only yeah. other one. Oh, then what ahead. about, uh, oh yeah, I was switching to. Oh yeah. I was yeah, going what, what to you got, first. the, um, prior course record holder, um, from the hundred K prodigal Kamalo from South Africa. He does not race much. And if you're familiar with like ITRA scores whatsoever, his is down in the six hundreds, which is interesting compared to all the other men who are like eight fifty and above. Mm. So I think that speaks more to the fact that he doesn't race very much. Mm. Um, and if he does race, it's just local South Africa races. Um, but he did have the prior course record that Jim Walmsley only took by three minutes. So he's stepping it up in distance for the hundred miler. And I'm excited, wow. excited for that. One last thing on the hundred mile. So Elav Olson did finish second in the hundred K back in 2018. Uh, he finished four hours, I mean, four minutes ahead of Johan Lance. So, uh, there is that he, he does have a little bit of, uh, of a history here. Okay. What about the shorter races? Robbie Simpson, Robbie Simpson in the 55 K. I think that, you know, in this, again, this is just my perspective and maybe it's because I don't follow the sub ultra and like 50 K aspect of a sport that much, but I feel like, like John Albin and Killian and those folks get a lot of credit on like the Sears and all circuit, the OCC circuit, but Robbie Simpson has two back-to-back podium finishes at OCC He's raced Sears in all 10 years in a row. And I think he has top 10 finishes each of those 10 years, including a bunch of second places, almost a win there. So, uh, and he's been in Cape Town for like a month now, just purely getting course recon. So he's one of the standout favorites for me. This is an Adidas Terex athlete. Okay. Yeah. Just to show how many athletes Adidas is sending out and it's not just in one race, it's across quite a few and a lot they're they're going to clean up mm-hmm. in the shorter races aren't they because the 23k as well which uh oh yeah that was the thing that i forgot to mention earlier was the prize money at least on the website the 23k prize money is the same as the Dang. 100k wow so like that's gonna be a high dollars per mm-hmm. hour payday whoever wins i feel like because it's an international race you have to create that incentive to get people to like if you're going to race for two hours hard and you're going to you're going to fly you know to 12 18 hours to get there that's probably a good carrot to have and i think i think it's cool like i i huge amounts of respect to the race director for not just having the shorter race being like oh it's shorter it's easier therefore it's less important there are people who start trail running and realize, oh, I'm very good at running, racing a couple hours very hard. And those people I'm very jealous of because they get to go run really fast and for not that long of a time. But that is a professional side of the sport. And it, like, those are real races too. And they are also very mm. exciting. Um, so I think it's really cool that there's that emphasis is put on the shorter races of like, no, this is a very important race as well. Um, so yeah, just kudos to ultra trail Cape town, um, on, you know, 
continuing to, you know, really try and field, you know, some competitive elite spots across every distance. Any, I'm stoked. I think this has been an awesome episode. Always great convening with you guys to geek out on another race. Can't wait to do it again. Any final thoughts, Leah, on this coming weekend and and the race at hand? No, I'm so excited for it. So much so that, yeah, I'm already like booking my tickets for next year. I need to be there. How about you, Brett? Brett, are you fact checking Leah right now? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yep. I, I hacked the flight mainframe and Leah already bought plane tickets. Um, I was I was just seeing what time it was over there right now, just to start figuring out what time of the day I'm going to have to watch these live streams. So, um, it's 2.30 in the afternoon over here on the West Coast, and it's 12.30 a.m. Hmm. over there. So... For the 100K, that would then start in like six more hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll be burning that midnight oil. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, the last thing I'll say, uh, shout out to Stu, the race director. I'm not sure if it's, I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it's McConaughey, his last name. And I just think he's, a, this is an alliteration, I know alliterations, but he's a student of the state of the art when it comes to events and putting on a world-class thing and, um, I'm stoked to see this all go down on, on uh, over the weekend. So, hell yes, do. I would love, uh, I would love to hear Stu's thoughts after the race on how everything went and maybe what to see moving forward. Maybe a potential uh, race director podcast. Uh, hell yeah. He should. We should just have a post-race oh. show, and he should just yes. be on it with us. He's my That'd new fair so person. Maybe. Yeah. Yep. Shout out, Stu. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes. Thanks again. We really appreciate your support. Really appreciate you listening. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.